0: Hello and welcome to Coffee with Maxwell. This episode is about going beyond Arabica to look at other species of coffee uh, really triggered by the success of eugenoides at the World Bristol Championships but also conversations around climate change and the potential of other species as a specialty uh, cup profile to rival Arabica. And also just before we start and dive into that I'd just like to remind everybody that after uh, people have asked Uh, I've gone and taken the audio from all the previous podcasts and you can now listen to uh, each of the episodes as an audio only podcast. Uh, You can find it on Spotify, just under Copy with Maxwell uh, and many other platforms. And moving forward, each episode will be released both as uh, a YouTube video and as an audio only file. So back to the topic of this episode, I'm going to taste some coffee. Uh, My intention here isn't to sort of rub it in your face that I get to taste. Really interesting coffees uh, that people nabbed at the World Barista Championships, and you don't. Uh, Ideally, I want to share my thoughts about some of these coffees. So what happens at World Barista Championships is something does very well, like it did this year. Eugenoides was used in the top three, and it was also used as part of a blend in the Brewers' Cup competition. And, you know, obviously there's lots of discussion and hype and intrigue about it. We won't go back to my rant about the problems with Barista comps, but, We'll just stop there shortly. One of the problems is you don't know why, right? Why did eugenoides win? You just look at it from the outside and you go, well, it must taste amazing. But it transpires there's a more interesting conversation to be had around eugenoides. Is it simply better than arabica? I don't want to jump to the end of this uh, video, but no, <laughs> I don't think it, most people don't seem to think it is, but it's interesting in other ways. And there's a debate to be had there. So eugenoides is famous now because it's interesting in a baristacomp. But other species are being talked about and used in the baristacomp. Hugh Kelly used Liberica, uh, and not too long ago, James Hoffman teamed up with Aaron Davies to talk about the potential of stenophilia uh, that derives from West Africa, as does uh, Liberica. There's also Excelso, which is another species which is technically uh, now defined as a variety of Liberica, but is different enough to be treated separately. None of the species I just mentioned make up a large um, quantity of production around the world. The the, the other species apart from Arabica which does that is obviously Robusta. And I guess that's the question to discuss here. These other species we're talking about, how different are they to Robusta? Are they closer to Arabica? Are they closer to Robusta? Are they something completely different? And how can we understand them in the context of growing, farming uh, and drinking coffee? Okay, so uh, I'm gonna start by tasting the coffee that is probably the most interesting from a taste point of view and that is Eugenois. So I'll be back with you in a second after I've brewed this coffee. Quickly before I taste these coffees I would like to thank those people who uh, are responsible for allowing me to taste these coffees. I wasn't at the World uh, Coffee Championships in Milan this year. I think it's the first World Barista and World Brewers Cup Championship I've missed since maybe 2012 uh, and uh, it was, I was, uh, I, there was an element of FOMO so <laughs> the, the ability to to get some of these coffees to taste uh, is excellent, it's a real privilege. Obviously, I'm not being having them brewed in the way that the British Champions uh, were brewing them, and I'm not tasting all of the coffees that did well at the top of the competition, just some of them. But I would like to thank uh, the people who, who were able to get these samples to me. So, Dale Harris, uh, Matt Winton, Dan Fellows, and Tom Ballerin. I, I really, really appreciate it. Thank you very much for uh, doing that, it's really, really kind. So before I brew some Eugenoides, I'm going to uh, smell the Eugenoides. It's very, very strange. It's kind of confusing. Smells a bit like a, almost like a rice dessert of some kind. There's a sweetness. There's some strange sort of savoury, organic sort of notes. Does smell sweet, which is what everyone says about Eugenoides, the, the sweetness. I'm not sure what we want is fake sweetness though, is it? I think business often gets a hard rap in coffee because a bad coffee can be overly bitter and a bad especially coffee can be overly acidic, but actually we want acidity, bitterness, sweetness. It all adds to the complexity. So it's interesting to have something that's just overwhelmingly sweet, but it's definitely not just that. There's something unique about it, which I think people are finding hard to describe and it's leaving people divided. Uh, but I'm gonna brew it now. Okay, so I've brewed a lungo. Uh, well, I like lungos, but also I don't have a lot of any of these coffees, I don't have a, uh, it feels like a pretty fail safe way to brew it. But also I get to taste it at a strength where, you know, if I brew it at a filter, or brew it at espresso, it's at those extremes. So I appreciate that my opinion about these coffees that were utilized for espresso routines is probably somewhat compromised by the fact I'm not A, brewing espresso, uh, but B, not brewing it in the same way that they weren't would have been brewed, you know. Obviously, the preparation's gonna have a big impact on the way it tastes. That is weird. I still get the white rice thing for me, this um, fake sweetener. I must say that's one of the cleanest Eugenoids I've tasted. So, I mean, a big piece here in people's narrative, which is the same with the other coffee species, is, is figuring out how to take something which I guess, you know, is like a rough hewn rock and to turn it into a diamond using processing, which is another debate to have, like how much of the, some very high scoring, valuable lots of coffee now, how much of the flavour is coming from processing versus the raw plant, you know, the, the species or the cultivar or the variety. I think actually Josh Tarlow, who I chatted to about a few of these things, thinks that processing can actually do more to help with climate change than the species themselves. It's very unusual. It's definitely. I think there's quite a lot going in coffee now with these flavour characteristics that are very new, very different. And they're exciting because they're different. But the question is once you've drank a lot of them, how will you feel about them if you had them all the time or in a month's time or? There's some there are a few there's quite a lot in there to like. Quite perfumed. Quite a lot of acidity and fruit, more acidity than when I first had it. When I first ever had it, it had a hardly any acidity, so I think the acidity is coming from the processing. But there's also some bits that I don't really like, maybe. Maybe like a bit earthy or woody or something. But the taste, I think you know, everybody is figuring out what this tastes like and how to describe it. But what's interesting about it is it's it's definitely not clearly The coffee that blows people away is their favourite, it's distinctive and unusual and it divides people. And some people love it and some people hate it. It'll be interesting to see where it ends up. The problem right now is not that many people have tasted it. There's only really two farms in the world that are growing it at any level. And a Macaluda in Colombia that is seen as the sort of pioneer of really taking this species and doing something interesting with it, Uh, from what I understand, you can only grow 150 grams per tree or yield it per tree. Um, So, this may be a fascinating species, but at those kind of yields, and at that, if it's that challenging to grow, then it's definitely not to be put forward as a species, as a solution for uh, you know, production or climate change or challenges of producing coffee optimally. It, it really is destined to be a super exotic, unusual coffee, potentially. But um, I can't say I know enough about propagating it uh for what potential it could have but it appears that that it's destined to be super unique um so that is eugenoides which these are my opinions about why it does so well in barista i think it's extremely hard as a judge to taste a ton of high quality acidic coffees brewed at high concentration and very quickly what was a positive after several cups and palate saturation becomes a negative so it's really, really difficult. I think when we do when we do tastings and cuppings here at Colonna, filter, you know, you still get saturated at filter strength, 1% strength, but you can taste a lot more before you get saturated. With espresso, you can't taste a lot. What we do is go to 1.5 times strength, because I think when you cup coffee at filter strength, um, if it's an espresso roast, depends how you feel about omni-roasting or not, but it's not representative to me of how it tastes at high concentration. So. What I do with our espresso roasts is I go around at filter strength and go, oh, they just taste a bit flat. Um, but then when we do them at 1.5 times strength, it's enough strength for the acidity to like, get strong enough for me to think about how it will translate as espresso without making 50 espressos and then just being blown by the third or fourth. Anyway, back to the barista comps and judging. Sweetness is definitely something which a lot of high quality Arabica espresso struggles with, uh, and partly there's a perception thing there about saturation, like I just said. So I think you come along with something that has this amount of sweetness and body. The body's interesting, it, it lasts on your tongue. So it doesn't have that astringency that a lot of the rabbit can have, which clears, you know, leaves your mouth a bit dry. It leaves your mouth kind of salivating and coated. So, you know, maybe Eugenoides does particularly well in an espresso comp. Again, with all those other acidic coffees, then it's a bit of breath of fresh air when you're oversaturated. But when you stick it in a normal environment on a cupping table, or just brewing it and giving it to friends and colleagues, um, it doesn't do as well in those contexts, but time time, time will tell. Now I want to stop here on coffee competitions for a second, just to question about how well something does in a coffee competition. It's really interesting, right? For many, many years when I got into coffee competitions, especially the barista championships, the espresso, Championships were really behind where the coffee industry was at. So the coffee industry was doing all these things, weighing ground shots, uh, brewing single origin espresso. There was a time when it was like, you don't make single origin espresso, right? And uh, Gesher, for example, floral aromatic high scoring coffees. And it took a long while for the coffee competition to catch up actually to the trends of what you were seeing in the global coffee industry in terms of what was representing, you know, high quality espresso preparation and beverages. And so I think, you know, 2000, was it 2016, that the first Gesher one? I think it was. I mean, interestingly, comparing to Eugenoides, 2015 was interesting, because that was uh, an unusual variety, obviously Sudan Rume, uh, which Sasha presented. But really where I'm going with this is saying, this is an interesting example in that it feels like one of the more rare occasions where the competition is presenting and rewarding something before a lot of people have tasted it. I mean, in terms of things like preparation techniques, it's always been good for those kind of trends. You know, people using a certain grinder, which you're not allowed to do anymore, separate point, um, <laughs> before other people, or preparing coffee in an unusual way. Those trends have always started at the comp. But the trend of like a cultivar or species that no one's ever tasted doing extremely well that's not happened that often and i think really that's the question here is what's the impact of eugenoides wider not just eugenoides but the other species that were showcased or the other cultivars that were showcased at the world championship this year outside of that coffee competition where will we see them in the world day to day where will they end up being positioned and what impact will they have Now let's move on to a couple of other species. So Liberica has been around for a long time. Different sources say it accounts for somewhere between two and 6% of global coffee production, whereas the majority of production is made up of Arabica and Robusta. Also heavily debated about, you know, people say the sort of 70, 30, 70% of Arabica. You know, people question whether those numbers are accurate or not, but they are dominant for sure. Robusta is not seen in the the greatest light. (laughs) It's assumed and categorised as being of a lower quality, higher caffeine content, but pretty disease resistant, um, high yielding, grown at lower altitudes. Interestingly, it appears that Liberica is more disease resistant than both Arabica or Robusta. Uh, And I think it was first propagated commercially uh, in the Philippines. But there are signs that it it also ultimately can be decimated by disease ultimately but Liberica doesn't seem to have had as much commercial value so it's interesting to see people questioning whether it could be somewhere between arabica and robusta you know is it closer to robusta or is it closer to arabica so Liberica is what i'm going to taste next this is a lungo uh, again did i say lungo is a grape? yeah um this is, uh, I, I don't actually have that much information about these, these coffees. Um, I've had a few different samples. I know this is Liberica. Um, so, the first thing that hit me is how crazy it smells. It doesn't smell as sweet as the Eugenoides at all. It's kind of, I get like a musk, almost like, a, like an aftershave. Smell, so it's, it is aromatic, for sure. It smells, smells strong, if I was gonna describe it in basic terms. So uh, let's see how it tastes. It's like, it's weird, it's like perfumey, but woody. Wow, I mean, so much less sweetness than the Eugenoides. Not a lot of acidity. Yeah, spicy. spicy, a little bit hollow, a little bit woody. There's something else there, like a in your nose, like as you, like an aroma that goes through your nose. Rubber, I mean, it's rubber. So, I mean, it really, it's got, it really is some of those attributes of a robusta. I think it's better than a robusta, at least, um, you know, Experimental robustas have been put, I've had more been put in front of me, and I remember there was a time when people said, Well, actually, you know, robustas treated well can be great, and I am open minded to that. I still feel like I'm yet to have a coffee that proves that to me. Now, the best robustas I've had lack the negatives, they lack that sort of battery acid note, the rubber, the harshness, the sort of dank sock notes. They are just very like dark cocoa, buttered toast. And almost like a different beverage, in in the same way that Eugenoides is just so different, it's almost like like trying to reclassify. But what I would say is that the coffees that I'm tasting today, these these different species, they've clearly had the best possible impact from processing. Well, maybe not best possible, but exceptional impact from brilliant processing. And this is somewhere I think is a bit of a new horizon for coffee, which is how much flavour is process, how much is the other aspects of terroir, so the the variety or the cultivar and the environment. Wine is famous for saying that if one element dominates, there's less value there. But to be fair to these species I'm tasting, they don't just taste like process at all. They taste characterful, they're different. But what I'm saying is I think the robustas that I've tasted haven't had access to that same quality of processing. So I don't know how much they could be improved. This is somewhere between the two. There's something perfumed about it, like purple or blue, which I presume is coming from the experimental process. Um, So this is really interesting. It's definitely more characterful than uncharacterful Arabica. This one is, I think I prefer Eugenoides to Liberica for sure. Liberica, this definitely feels like There's some real negatives there against some real positives that are fighting for each other, but still super interesting. And maybe really the lesson this year is the the power of processing to really lead the flavor of a cup of coffee. Do you want to taste it, Joshua? Joshua's here with me, uh, wants to catch me using the long cupping spoon. How weird is that? No, you don't like it? It's not for me. Well, how would you describe it? It's got a Is it's a bit sour compared to- There's a lot 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 less sweetness, sweetness. yeah, yeah. There's more bitterness, for sure, but it is quite aromatic, right? It's not offensive, but it it just doesn't feel enjoyable to drink a lot of. Mm -hmm. It lacks the sweetness. It's more like when a lot of people were getting in specialty coffee and would say, oh, it needs sugar. And people say, oh, actually there's a balance to a great Arabica coffee that is balanced and doesn't need the sugar. This almost tastes like it needs some help, some mm-hmm. sweetness, right? Sure. There's a taste though, in both the Eugenoides and this, that I think is processed. A weird perfumed. Do you get that? Similarities, for sure. There's I some similarities. That, yeah. But again, it's hard to tell how much is processed and how much mm-hmm. is not. And that's sort of where I end up feeling about a lot of the, whether you're adding flavours or, you know, talking wine so you can taste it and say, okay, well, this much is the process, this much is the varietal, this much is the terroir, this much is all of the different stages. And I think that's what we're having is we're just having an explosion of experimental processing and I think it will settle down. There'll clearly be processes that people prefer. I've heard people say that an anaerobic process can add a point to all the coffees they're growing, so why not not make it anaerobic? Um, But yeah, let's come back to species. I think Liberica is interesting because it's been proven it can be grown commercially, can be disease resistant, achieve high yields. And if processing can start to bring some more balance some more acidity, some more specialty qualities to it, that's very interesting. Robusta, I'm still yet to be convinced. It's interesting that maybe why didn't we see Robusta in part of these blends? Is it just that you can't even use processing to get it, to the point where it'll do well in these Arabica-driven competitions, but Liberica and Eugenoides can. It's, it's an open question. I also recently tasted, uh, which I cover in a different video, uh, a lot of sort of hybrids that had utilised processing, you know, to sort of overcome some of what those negative flavours or less desired flavours uh, were historically. But I think we're li- living in a really exciting time in coffee where a lot of horizons are being pushed and explored. When I got into coffee, a lot of that was at the brewing level, people playing around with the way they brew coffee. And really, I think many people predicted that the real sort of future of innovation in coffee would be at a producing level. And it clearly is, you know? I mean, it doesn't matter how good you are at making coffee or even roasting or all your water, the, you know, the bulk of that flavor, I believe, really does come from the raw ingredient. And you're figuring out how to manipulate that, but also like elevate it and improve it or do the best job at showcasing that raw ingredient. What do I think the future is of species that aren't Rabica robusta? Well, I think Eugenoides will continue to be a super niche exotic unless I've misunderstood the yield you can achieve from it or how difficult it is to grow. Um, so it will be like Geshe in that regard. I think it will quite quickly become sought after, very high value. It uh, doesn't taste anything like Geshe. And I think Geshe is interesting to me as I taste a lot of these experimental processes, is that, you know, If you level the playing field with washed processes, Gesha really does stand out. Um, But you know, experimental processing is super valuable as well. Um, I'm sort of, I think a lot of us in coffee are figuring out what our own personal preferences are. At what point is it too process flavor driven? Um, And that will be different for individuals. And I think the coffee industry over time will naturally end up auditing itself, right? Because I do think if you can't taste the cultivar variety or even the species anymore that does start to lose some value and i think people will circle back to being interested in a combination of those factors that's uh, eugenoides liberica that is interesting it's grown commercially the one i've had here today is better than the experimental robustas i've been given i know a friend of mine who's uh, imports green coffee and they've been doing some experiments and it's Doing blind taste tests to see what the value of Liberica could be, and the challenge there is the cost to produce it and the quality. Is it enough to rival uh, Arabica? You know how much does that cost and how much value is actually there? But interesting, I'm surprised by the Liberica. Almost more that I knew the usualities was strange, um, but the Liberica was 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 interesting. I've never tasted Excelso either. And for those who haven't followed the work of Aaron Davies, Aaron Davies from Kew Garden, I think it was about 10, 15 years ago, started a project to document the world's coffee species. And he said it was crazy that no one had ever done this. You know, and there's all these coffee species down, predominantly the east coast of Africa, there's also the west coast. And, you know, there are hundreds. And in his words, most of them produce a fruit with a seed that's undrinkable, which is why we end up with just a few but it does appear that as an industry, we're starting to broaden our, 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 our horizons beyond just looking at Arabica from a specialty value point of view. And that is exciting and that is interesting. Um, if you get the chance to taste any of these kind of coffees, uh, do it. Uh, I'm always fascinated to know what other people think. I think when you get into coffee and you've you learn your own tastes and what your preferences are, and then you match those against the industry and they're not always the same, but generally the coffee industry is quite aligned on Arabica, pretty much. I mean, some people hate Gash, I don't know how, what's wrong with them? Uh, but it's, this one's interesting, some of these, because it's, you're putting something into the, into the den of people and going, what do you all think of this? And it's, it's fascinating to watch how people react. You know, It is true at the end of the day what people say, coffee's super subjective, different people like different things, it's up to the individuals, but what's fascinating is to watch what becomes a trend and what, as a community, generally becomes considered as high and low quality, right? You know, um, because that is what happens over time. So it's going to be fascinating to watch these species over the coming years, and also experimental processing, at where we love the processing or where it's a fad and we actually pull it back a bit. Coming back, to not only climate change, which clearly is a a really important topic to consider in terms of the species and cultivars and processes and what that means in the future, but also the ability to generate value in a location by growing coffee. So I was talking recently to someone that I've met through the coffee industry uh, and chat to over Instagram in the Philippines. talking about saying okay well it's all very well you know to have a wash process which really prizes certain elements of terroir but there's other areas where that can't be achieved and maybe you could do something different to create value and i think that's really what's interesting here as well is is there are, are there species here combined with processes and approaches that can make areas where it was challenging to achieve a high value in terms of growing and harvesting Arabica, is it possible to reinvigorate or progress or evolve those locations with different species or different species and processes? These are really impactful questions. If, if the answer is yes, that's a, that's a big deal. And of course, in, in coffee, you're always interested to try and achieve the best possible cup of coffee. But as you often say, most farms that produce exceptional coffee also produce other coffee. And actually, if you look at the whole world of coffee growing, there's a multitude of qualities. And if you describe it as a pyramid, the biggest impact you can have is by improving the biggest part, the lower two-thirds of the pyramid. So this has definitely been a very interesting World Barista Championship. The coffees that have been rewarded are unusual. They are different and they do pose some fascinating questions. I've really enjoyed and having the opportunity and I feel privileged to taste these coffees and I hope to be able to taste some more of these very unique uh, progressive experiments. Thank you very much for always supporting the channel Uh, and if you're on the YouTube channel I'd love to hear what you think Uh, and if you're listening to the podcast, till next time.